Namaste, my good people. My name is Kathy Patton. And my name is Odell Montgomery Cooper, and we are your hosts for Interruption, Disrupting the Silence. Welcome back. We have five remaining podcasts promoting the online production that is scheduled to be online uh, Labor Day weekend. But during these podcasts, I know it's a wonderful thing, but during these podcasts, Kathy and I are going to have real talk, real discussions with you about issues that are raised in the, produ- in the production that have interrupted our lives and probably yours. We'll have honest reflections, discussions, debates, and we're going to laugh at our gullibility in life. <laughs> the name of the podcast is depictive of what happened in my life. <sighs> couple of years ago. Um, I was a mother. I could finally breathe. I had two children who were in their 20s, and my children had finally discovered their niche in life. Until one day in April, my son Coop became the casualty of gun violence and was murdered by mistaken identity. That night interrupted my life, and this is why we are here today. We invite you to review our first podcast where we summarize the production of interruptions, disrupting the silence. And what we're going to share about is I learned much about myself and the importance of listening to my body. It's important for me to share my journey with you of how I learned to break the silence of my inherited traditions to to be quiet, to be silent, and the societal stigmas about mental health so that others can do the same. Thank you, Odell. And I shared how my life was interrupted when my child was diagnosed with autism. Before we get started, though, I'm going to ask that you please press the like button, download and share this podcast because someone you know may need to hear it. I also want to thank you for watching our first podcast. We received a few questions via social media, and a lot of them we responded to already by email or in personal conversations. But there was one question that we wanted to save to have a discussion this evening on. Odell, a lot of the viewers sent in asking you the question, Mm. uh, what happened, what actions happened, legal actions happened as a result of the death of your son? Hmm. Good question. Uh, Currently, my son's case started off as a state investigation, but now it is a it's open and it is a federal investigation. So explain to us what what does that mean between the state and federal? How did how did that happen? Uh, Well, uh, good question. My, My son was actually murdered in the city of Hamden. And the through the investigation, they discovered that the alleged murderers had other priors of illegal activities that were taking place interstate through other states mm-hmm. and were being investigated by federals. So when it's interstate, um, it's no longer a state case. It becomes a federal okay. case. Okay. So instead of the city, instead of Connecticut charging these individuals with the murder of my son in Connecticut. They grouped his case with the other pending investigations, and that's how it became a federal investigation. So what was actually happening was I was dealing and communicating with Hamden detectives and ATF detectives at the same time. Mm -hmm. And... um, so when you take a look at the production, the production covers about four years of my life from the night my son came home from New York because he lived in New York and four years after his death, which pretty much takes us to after the brain aneurysm, which is how we got to this podcast of how did we get here? So, you know, Kathy, we, we, we talk about this. We joke about this growing up. When we listen to our parents who are telling us when we're young, who tell us everything we're supposed to do in life. They tell you to go (laughs) to church, stay in church, uh, finish high school, go to college, graduate from college, want you to get a good job. 
Then they want you to get married, have 2.5 kids, <laughs> buy a house, have a dog, never a cat, but have a dog, <laughs> and dog. on your house have a picket fence. Well, <laughs> that was what my mother told me in my life. And that was what she painted for me as the happy life, the American dream. And, you know, I did all of that, minus the picket fence, of course. <laughs> but nowhere in this script of church, marriage, school, college, was I ever prepared for being a mother of a murdered son, being able to, you know, no one said you're going to have health issues. How do you deal with that? Make sure you have insurance. So PTSD, depression, having a brain aneurysm. So I asked myself, how did I get here? Right. And Odell, thank you. And well, good thing for our parents and our elders, because luckily we're still in church, right? Yes. <laughs> so that, that, that's really, for me, that definitely has helped me get through yes. the, the trauma that I've gone through. And, and I hate to, for me, um, I hate to use the word trauma because I feel that some people compare, like, how do you say having a child with special needs is considered a trauma when you talk to Reverend Odell, who actually um, lost her son to the gun violence. But when I'm talking about it, we're talking about tragedies and interruptions of life. And so when I share with you in my stories that I heard the same thing, that you go to church, you grow up, you get married. You know, I just celebrated 34 years of marriage with my husband this past weekend. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and we were college sweethearts. And so when we graduated, we got married and we we had both had really, really good jobs. And we had the 1.25 children because we hadn't had um, our daughter yet, but she was on her way. And so my life then got interrupted when we actually learned initially mm. that she had developmental delays. And that's how she was labeled early on. And it wasn't until she got a little bit older that they diagnosed her as um, having autism. Mm. So it was difficult. I don't want to paint a picture. I think, you know, we are going to talk more about this in our next broadcast, but it was a difficult time. It was a difficult journey. I sure. know that when we're growing up that sometimes when we come to that crossroads in the road and in, in our journey that we know we're supposed to take the right road but we go left right <laughs> we're young left, we're, right. we're testing it out say so, well what happens right. if i go left right yes. but in this journey um with my daughter it was different because i did come to many many crossroads and honestly sometimes when i got there i just stood there because i just didn't know which which road to take I stood there and cried. And that's our life. That's that's the American life. You know, we all come to that crossroad and we ask ourselves, how did I get here? And, you know, this is our story. But, you know, for generically, some of our listeners could be listening and saying, you know, how did I end up in this relationship? Or without that relationship. Yeah. Or <laughs> how did I end up in this job <laughs> or not in that job. Yes. Or like me, supposed, job. To, supposed to be in Connecticut for three years. So I'm saying, how am I still living in this state? Not only in this state, but in this state during a pandemic. Yes. That has now been labeled a hot spot. So um, if you leave, you need to be quarantined for three for 14 days. Mm. So it's an interruption. And we're all dealing with an unexpected interruptions. I wasn't prepared to have a child um, that society actually deems less than perfect, although she's perfect to me and always will be. So you're yeah. right. We're not prepared for these interruptions. And you? Um, we're never prepared. Um, life doesn't prepare you for interruptions, even happy interrupts, because you still have to try to adjust to figure things out. You know, you say less than perfect. You know, you and I have something in similar because my son's death is deemed by police and by society as being, um, a, you know, it, it was a black on black crime. So right. therefore, black on black crimes are people are immune 
to those crimes and therefore they continue to happen. And what we discuss in the production are different factors that led up to my brain aneurysm, different layers of stress. And this was one of them. Um, when I found out that my son's case a year later had been shifted from a state investigation to a federal investigation, I had ATF detectives in my house um, and the Hamden detectives in my house. And what they discovered was new information. A year later, they're sitting in my living room and they're telling me from their investigation, they discovered new information. Mm -hmm. That mothers, mothers, Kathy, who they spoke to a year ago were dishonest and withheld information that could have made a difference in my son's case. And that was the most difficult thing to hear, to hear that another mother who knew these alleged murderers knew that they came to their house and bragged about, I'll use somebody's name, bragged about shooting Pookie in a particular location and then finding out the next day that it wasn't Pookie. Pookie was still on Facebook. Pookie had gone to work and whoever Pookie is, I God bless Pookie and I really hope Pookie turned his life around because he dodged a bullet. But they learned that they killed an innocent man. They mm -hmm. learned from the newspapers that the man that they shot didn't even live in this state anymore, that we as his parents had, re I relocated my son in New York so that he could have better options right. and not look the same as everybody else in Connecticut. And I wanted to give him that choice. And he was living his life. He was in his dream. But these mothers, Kathy, they sat in my living room and said, mothers were dishonest did not give them the information. The ATF detectives were telling me what they had discovered. And mm -hmm. my anger just began to fester inside of me to know that another mother held on to information that could have made a difference in my son's case a year later. And Kathy, I tell you, there's no difference in that mother who held off information about knowing what these proposed murderers did, where the gun was, you know, they made a mistake. They took someone's innocent life. They knew information and said nothing. To me, these mothers are no different than the cops who stood by and watched Joy Floyd, George Floyd be murdered or Sandra Bland be murdered in a prison cell. They're no different than these individuals, these cops who were investigated and said nothing, who kept their mouth shut, who knew time after time, these same police officers had done this before and said nothing. These mothers are the same mothers who are probably going out protesting Black Lives Matter, wearing shirts and protesting and signs in their yard, going on Facebook, posting. These mothers are hypocrites. Mm -hmm. They, To mm -hmm. me, they are the exact same as these police officers who did nothing and stood by and watched an innocent person die. They're no different than these, than these hate crimes where a neighbor knew that someone was going to go out and kill someone just because of the color of their skin and said nothing, did nothing. To me, these mothers, I don't know this world, but these mothers who said nothing to me, they're hypocrites. They need to turn in their black card, their mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter mask, because mm -hmm. they are no different. So it's okay that a black man can be innocent black man can die at the hands of another black person, but it's not okay if a black man dies um, from a cop or a hate crime. It's mm -hmm. hypocrisy. It's wrong. And black lives, that's when I say all black lives matter. All black lives. That, that's a very Sorry. difficult. Gosh. No, take a minute. Take a minute. And I know that that's very difficult for you. I want to jump back a little bit in, in your comments. You said two really key things to me. You said um, you moved your son to New York because you wanted him to have a different life. Yes. Um, were you worried about him living in Connecticut? Were you worried about the people that he was around? Or um, did you just wanted him to do something different and be in New York? I wanted him to do something different. To me, all the young men that his age, they all look the same. Mm -hmm. um, 
I would drive down the street and I would look and I was like, is that my son? And because they all looked the same. So right. he, you know, we lived in suburban urban. So it wasn't his friends that I was worried about. His friends had graduated from high school and had gone to college and was working in their careers. So it wasn't the friends. Mm-hmm. It was just life. Uh, life in New Haven. And um, for some reason, my son just loved rap music, which I hated. And, um, you know, but even those friends were still good friends. Right. Um, Right. But it's just that's it's life. It's what happens. And I wanted him to have in, uh, other opportunities other than being in New Haven. And the other key thing is that black black all black lives matter. Right. And so yes. you have these mothers that sat back and just watched and they knew the truth. Did you know them at all? No. Um, I didn't know any of the mothers who withheld information. Mm-hmm. Um, the detectives told me a year later that they discovered um, these mothers that they spoke to withheld information, didn't speak the truth, and were going back to investigate. Okay. So um, I don't, did, did you ever watch Scandal, Odell? Uh, who didn't watch Scandal? Who didn't watch Scandal? <laughs> who didn't watch Scandal? <laughs> yes. I know. I know. Who didn't? You're right. That was a silly question. So I'm asking you that. In August 2014, as you are aware, an unarmed Black teenager was shot mm-hmm. by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. And there was outrage, much like what we're seeing today as a result of the death of George Floyd. And while you and I could spend a year on doing podcasts, on stories since more than 10 million slaves were transported during the the 16th through the 19th century and that killing and the the injustice of black people is not new, uh, nor has it ever been okay. But I'm not going to digress to that. But to make a powerful statement regarding this Ferguson uh, tragedy, the creator of Scandal, Shonda Rhimes, aired a very special episode entitled The Lawn Chair. It was Ah. in Courtney Vance and Jerry Washington. It was one of the most talked about episodes in Scandal. And if, if people have not had the opportunity to watch it, I will tell you it was in season four, episode 14. Again, it's called The Lawn Chair. While we can't air the entire episode, there was a segment that was so powerful and reminded me, unfortunately, reminded me of you and so many other families who lost a loved one to unwarranted gun violence. And I think we have a clip. Yes. Okay, great.
So Odell, okay. when you watch that clip, and I know how difficult it was for you, tell me what are the similarities? What are you feeling when you see that? When I watched that clip, um, a mother could not have done that. A mother, I, just say I could not have done that, placed a chair over my son's body as he laid in the streets. Um, that was something I guess only a father can do. When I was learned that my son was shot, I didn't know that he was dead. Um, that I learned that when I arrived at the crime scene, his body was still lying on Dixwell Avenue. And I was there, his body was there. And I was later told that I let out a screech, a cry that my family said they'll never forget, that just shattered their hearts. And to just know that my son died alone. Mm -hmm. And one, he died, but he died alone and he died on the streets. So I don't think a mother could have done that, could have performed that role. Mm -hmm. And if you think about COVID-19, how many people could not, can't be with their loved ones, their loved ones are dying alone. Right. You can't comfort them. You can't be with them. And that's hard. Yeah. That leaves a hole in your heart that just can't be filled. And knowing that my son died alone and his body was lying on the streets left a hole still leaves a hole in my heart when I think about it. And there's only so much that I can think about when I think about that night. I, and, and thank you. I know it's so hard for you. And I, if I haven't told you, I just so appreciate you sharing your story because I know this has not been an easy journey for you. But even in watching that clip and he is laying on the ground and, and I think what goes through my head is what was he thinking like uh, mm. beforehand? Like, how is this happening to me? How did I get here? How did right? I get here? How did I um, get here? As I just listened to the clip again, I, I heard him say, I did everything right. Yes. You know, I did everything right. And that's what I did. That's what I thought I was doing. My son graduated high school, was had gone to college, and he wasn't college material. I'm like, no, I'm not wasting my money. You're going to go to New York. You're going to go pursue your passion and not the dream that I want you to have in terms of college. So college for me was different than his path. So he was in school, um, at a music school, and working, and discovered his niche in life. and it cost me an extra job that I needed to work to help him to stay in New York. But he was, to me, he was safe. He was with family and he was doing well in his career, which you'll learn about when you see the production. And I thought I do, was doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And the part that aided me for a very long time is that I asked my son to come home. Um, there was an event at um, the job and my daughter was in the culinary school. There was a friends and family day event and she wanted her brother there. Uh -huh. Um, I changed the, the original date he couldn't make. And I changed the date to accommodate his schedule. And when he came home on August 23rd, I changed the date. And that was the night that he was murdered. So for years, that guilt aided me. Mm -hmm. and saying if I was, if I had did everything right, what did I do wrong? Was it my fault? Mm -hmm. You know, how did I get here? How did I get here? Should, why did I change today? Why did I do this? Um, you question, I question myself. I question everything. And it was, I blamed myself mm -hmm. because he was home at my request. So I thought I was keeping my son safe by having him in New York. And in New York, I thought he was safe until he came home. And I, I want to get, I'm going to get back to asking you um, about the mothers, but I want to, I want to go a little bit more into what you were just talking about, because even in the clip, 
you you can see the anguish on Grant's mm. face, and I forgot the character name that he played, but just the anguish of it to say that I lined up everything, right? Yes, yes. I, I brought him old, broken up radios or computers or something <laughs> that for him to to fix, and and I would watch when he. I wouldn't go to sleep until he came in and I watched where he would go and all of that. And so it leads back to the conversations that we have to have with our sons that are very different. And in our communities, we start these conversations very early to say that we are concerned. And then again, now you look back and you say, this is this is why I had to have these conversations. I don't think we ask ourselves these questions, but mm. as you said, what, how did I get here? What happened to me? What happened that you are sitting there and hearing from the police that, and just another, another mother knows something about this case and said nothing. nothing. I don't understand it. How did we get here in our communities to do such a thing? How did how did she get there? How did that mother make that conscious decision to say, yes, I have this information, and although she is hurting, I am going to protect my child and not share this information. And in now and in reality, you're not protecting your child because your child's in a life that they shouldn't be in. And so it's more dangerous for him to continue on that path. But how what what in terms of that staying silent? Um, how does this play in you, to you wanting to share your story? You know, you you mentioned something that I've gotten into discussions with with family and and then people I know and others I don't know is you know do you we know that people of color we're not safe talking to police right um, that that's clear we can see that today that what's going on and it's never to say that you risk your child's life for another life that's gone. Mm -hmm. That is never the case. But if that's not the case, if your child's life is not at risk and you as a mother have information that you need to share and you don't, then that's disrespectful. Right. And I'm, call I'm calling it a hypocrite and I don't understand it. So you ask about interruptions. Why do I wanna do interruptions? So interruptions is for mothers whose sons were murdered by black on black crime and their voices are, we're told to be quiet. We're told to be silent. Our cases are mute. Our cases don't exist. We're left to suffer in silence. We're left to be quiet and to be ignored. Interruptions is for us, is for these mothers like me mm -hmm. who are sitting here today and still trying to figure out how did I get here? Right. How do I breathe? So for me, I decided not to suffer in silence. That's why we have interruptions disrupting the silence. And I'm trying to help other mothers to say, we shouldn't be silent. We can't be silent. Our mission, our goal in life is to disrupt the silence on our pain. We may be ignored by society, ignored by police, and these black-on-black -black crimes may become immune to us. But as mothers, as women, we need to find a way to heal ourselves. And that is the importance of interruption to say, you've got to find a way to heal yourself and to speak up and that our lives matter too. Thank you, Odell. And you're so right. I'm so glad you said that because one of the reasons why I advocate for children uh, with autism and disabilities in general is because so often when we were told, um, when we were growing up, we were told whatever happens in this house, stays does, in this house. Stays in this house, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And so you didn't go out of that house. You didn't talk about your issues. You handled it within the family and sometimes not even all of the family. Right. And you definitely didn't talk to the neighbors about it. And what it's done to us is that it hasn't taught us how to really deal with problems that come our way. We weren't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared to have a child that had special needs. I didn't learn what happens if that journey 
uh, gets off kilter, right? And so we have to learn to go outside of our homes to talk about this. And I advocate because not only it's important for us to talk to it, talk about it with each other in our own communities, but we have to advocate because we shouldn't have other people making decisions about what happens to our children. That is true. Advocacy is important. And, you know, yes, we're taught, you know, to don't air your dirty laundry. You keep everything inside of your house. You don't secrets that you take. Now, there are some secrets that I'm taking to my grave. <laughs> you Those know, are the things you had no business doing. Girlfriend, girlfriend <laughs> secrets that I'm taking to my grave. But, you know, that situation is not one of them. And no. what I had to fight through was asking for help, was breaking through pride, letting go of my pride and saying, I need help. Yes. And accepting help was the most difficult thing I ever had to do. And it made a difference in my recovery, um, saying that I can't do this myself because the pain is so deep and is so heavy. And the night my son died, a part of me died. And then this hole in your body that you're trying to fill. And you can't drink it away. You can't fill it with alcohol. You can't fill it with weed or any other. can't sex it away. You can't do anything. Can't pray it away. There's nothing. This hole is there and you just can't fill it. And that's when addictions kick in. And I go through that. We'll talk about that later on, that I did have addictions. And people go, what do you mean you had addictions? You know, and there are different levels of of addictions. And, um, you know, I'm sitting at a bar. I'm doing happy hour. And that's my addiction. And my daughter was doing something different. My son's best friend. Marcel was doing something different. And the great thing is that all not great thing, but we all eventually said, I need some help. And we talked about it. And to this day, my family, we have not talked about it. Outside of my daughter, my external family, my sisters and cousins who were there that night, we haven't talked about it. Mm -hmm. It has remained silent. So I went through what I went through. I went through going through without them. Mm -hmm. So what, when you said you, you talked about it in your household, what does that look like? What did that look like for you? Oh, it took a long time. It took a long time for um, Jackie and I, my daughter and I to see one another Mm -hmm. uh, because each of us are grieving. Our bodies are traumatized and we're dealing with the loss not just the loss, it's not a, a, a passing, it's the murder. It, right. He was home, we were together, had a beautiful day in the program, and 12 hours later, he's murdered. Um, that's traumatizing, and it took us a year, and we asked for help, and eventually we decided that we had to go to counseling. Um, I decided to go first. And counseling was very helpful for us. Okay. And, you know, so I have a question for you um, yeah. for, for counseling. Um, having a daughter who's autistic, were, did, you, did you go to counseling? Did you find counseling helpful for you? So that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so I believe in counseling. I think it's very helpful for people. But honestly, Odell, I think that when I was going through everything with my daughter, I never even thought about going to counseling. I didn't know that it was available. I just, and then the other aspect of it was just that I was raising my son. Um, I was working and with, with our daughter, we had appointments almost every day. Uh, we had people coming in and out of the house, physical therapists, um, cognitive therapists, uh, every every therapist that you could think of was coming in and out of the house. And if they weren't here, then we were taking her to the doctor. And quite frankly, I was still working and I was Mm. exhausted. I was exhausted. And I didn't even think about, I don't remember thinking about me. 
I don't ever remember that time to be able to sit and say, I think I'm not doing really well through this. I don't remember having those conversations. I don't, I don't know whether I didn't have those conversations because I wasn't understanding how to release or I was afraid to release one okay. or the other. But I didn't, I didn't even think about counseling. Um, I just, I think I was just merely existing. Yeah, I can relate to merely existing because we look the same. Um, <laughs> you know, we look the same. We re-enter the workforce and people look at us and they think we're the same, but on the inside, we're not. Right. When did you, did your body, again, I ignored the signs of my body. Was your body telling you that something was going on differently? Uh, I Not initially. It, it wasn't because I didn't know what to look for. Mm, remember, that's true. right? I, remember, yeah. I was just going through the motions of day to day. And so I didn't know what to look for. And I don't think, I mean, there were times and and I was horrible to her physical therapist that would come in the house. I was horrible to her. And I remember that, that I was horrible to her. I don't remember doing it at the time, but I remember after like, oh my God, I was horrible to her because whenever she would move her, while you know my daughter very well and, yes. so, um, and many people do, and no one would know that she actually did not walk until she was two and a half. Okay. Um, she did not speak until she was four. Mm. And no one would know that now because she talks all the time. Um, <laughs> but She's when, making up for it. <laughs> when the physical therapist would come into the house, she would move her muscles because, you know, sitting at home now, working at home, we're all getting stiff, right? Not moving. Yes. And so she didn't know how to move her muscles. And so the physical therapist would move her not to harm her, but to, so that her muscles would not get tight. And okay. she would tell me, I, I know that she's crying, but it's only because it's uncomfortable. She's not used, used to using these muscles. And I just, I did not like her. Every time she said that, I just wanted to like smack her. And <laughs> you? <laughs> yes, I'm saying if she's crying, then this can't be good for her. Okay. And so, but I don't, I don't remember being that way directly to her. Okay. I think the reality came in when I had to, and we'll talk about it, but when I had to make a very important decision for her, and that's when I ended up praying mm -hmm. to a point where I prayed mm -hmm. and learned to leave it. But it wasn't a five minute prayer. That is a prayer that until you go through something yes. that you, you don't realize that you have just cried for two hours in prayer. Prayer. That's when you're knocking constantly. Knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Um, I found myself constantly every night being robotic. You say you were robotic. Yes. Um, you know, just going through the motions. I re-engaged, went back to work, and was the wrong thing to do because that's what we're taught to do. Yes. So I did everything that I was conditioned to do, but the inside of my body was not there. No. And when you say you were you were angry with her, you didn't say the word angry. What did you say? You was with your with the therapist. You didn't I, use the I, word angry. Was, I, I think I said hated her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you I hated didn't, her. I mean, I didn't, I I don't hate her now. <laughs> I did. But, I felt I I really I felt anger. I just it was just something. And it, it wasn't until you asked me when did I realize did my body ever react? And it didn't react until actually I had that crying two, three hour mm -hmm. prayer. And I yes, I woke yes. up and realized what have I done to myself? What have I missed with my son? Um, and I realized yes. that I realized then that I, it because it was out of my control, that's, that's the hardest thing I had to deal with. It was something in my life that was out of control and I hadn't learned to deal with that. 
I let's go back. You said we are supposed to go to college and we were supposed to get the good job and and yes. they get married and have the 2.5 children and have the house. Yes. I had all of that and something interrupted my life that I wasn't prepared for. And I think I went internal to myself and it was over a period of two years because I don't remember much in those two years. I don't. And in, in those two years, Kathy, did you blame yourself, re-examine re something that you did that you should have done? Did I eat something? Did I take them to the wrong doctor? I mean, there are so many reasons they talk about for autism, whether it's a, a, a immune shot or something that's hereditary. Um, when you found out that your daughter was autistic, what did you, did you yourself blame yourself or question yourself? I think initially I did. I said, did I do something wrong? Did I harm her in any way? Um, initially, but initially. when we were going through the doctors, the multiple, multiple doctor's appointments, and she was tiny. She was really, really tiny. And there was one appointment that my husband was with me and they took a tube and had to put it down her throat and uh, into her nose, down her throat. And my husband wouldn't let me stay in there. And he pulled me aside and said, this is it. Whatever happens or doesn't happen, we're going to deal with the situation as we have been given by God. And from that point, I think I didn't allow myself to question anything because I, I listened to what he said and I dealt with it. We dealt with it as we were given it. And we trusted that God did this for a reason. And but I want you to be clear that it's <laughs> so easy. I'm saying it easy now. Yes. Right? Years later, we can say this. Years later, yes. we can have we can look back and reflect on our life's interruptions. Um, and and you're correct. I apologize for not being able to keep my son safe. Yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that I couldn't keep him safe. Mm -hmm. That I, I couldn't. Um, it was out of your control. It was out of my control. And what was going to happen was going to happen. Um, he, John, my son Takoop told me a story that he was in New York, um, hanging out at Central Park with some friends. And officers came over to them and started questioning them about what are you all doing selling drugs? And, you know, I know I prepared him and talked to him about how to talk with cops, what to do. And he said, you know, we're not selling drugs. Look at those guys over there. Those are the ones that are selling drugs and they're selling it in front of you. We're just sitting here having a beer on, on the bench. And his sister and brother-in-law are detectives in New York. And thank God they gave him a card to say, <laughs> you know, listen, uh, whenever you get anything happens to you, someone questions you, show them this card, here's our name. And he said, listen, my sister is a detective, my brother-in-law. And I think, you know, I honestly think because the last name was Italian, it, it made a difference. <laughs> and the detectives knew them. And um, he's John said we could. He then he started flexing. Coop started flexing. You know, uh -oh. shall, shall I call them? I need to call them. And it's uh -huh. like you know, but the detectives left him alone, and that could have gone wrong in so many different ways. And I wasn't there. Um, and I thank God for that level of protection from his sisters. And I'm thinking, okay, you're in New York, you've got family, you've got protection, you're detectives, but we still can't protect our children. We can't and keep them safe. And our parents did not say you can potentially give birth to a child that's not healthy. You know, they didn't say be prepared for an interruption, be prepared for your child not finishing college or not wanting to do a four-year program or wanting to do something else. Um, they didn't tell us that, you know, they didn't tell us, you know, four-year college, you know, debt, student loan debt. They didn't tell us any of this. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, absolutely right. 
So, and I, yeah, I know that you had asked me, did I go to a counselor? And we kind of covered a little bit it because you said something significant that made Jonathan, this all was created because of a conversation you had with Jonathan. And for those that yeah. may not heard, have heard that part in the first um, podcast, what was it? Because you you are very open about the fact that you wouldn't be here if you hadn't, A, first of all, had your faith, but even beyond the faith, as you said, you can't pray your way through this, but you did go to see a trauma specialist. And so what while you were there, what was it that you learned to say about yourself? And again, shared with Jonathan that actually created this, your whole writing of interruptions. It took a long time to get to the counselor. Um, I've had people at my church wanting to, you know, grief ministry, wanting to come. And I'm like, nope, don't want you. I'm not grieving. I'm mad. <laughs> I'm angry. I'm not grieving. I'm angry. I'm pissed. Um, and someone suggested that I go to counseling, but in our communities, people of color, we're told not to go to counseling. You know, counseling is not something that we do. And something that we were told, you know, pray more, have more faith, um, have a drink, go to sleep, you know, smoke a joint if you have to, you know, <laughs> but, you know, you don't go to counseling. And it wasn't working. And I had friends, very close friends who said, this is what you need to do. And I was in a leadership program, the CLP leadership program with the Gronstein Foundation. And in my cohort was someone who was a trauma specialist and um, she was good at what she did. And I knew she was good at what she did. So someone, a friend called me and said, you need to call her you need to call Dr. Hadar because she's she wants to talk to you. And I figured, oh, at least she knows me. I don't have to reintroduce myself. I don't have to tell my background, my story, you know. But even it didn't matter because when I sat in her chair, I was still angry and I didn't want to talk. And she acted like she didn't know me <laughs> and started asking me questions that I thought she knew. And I still had to tell the story. And I was angry because I had to tell the story. I had to paint the picture of why I was angry, to paint a picture of why I couldn't sleep, the hole that I was feeling, the thoughts that I was having in my head, the conversations, the angered conversations I'm having with God, not talking to my friends, going to repeated happy hour, drinking myself, you know, three drinks, I'm done. Mm -hmm. So that's I'm drunk um, and friend <laughs> dropped me off but some people go three I'm like yeah three is my limit if I have three mm -hmm. I'm done. but then getting up the next day and going to work and still being miserable and it took her a long time to figure me out and to realize that in order to talk to Odell I need to be direct I need to be clear and she needs to understand the process. And she gave me that. She said, I'm just going to tell you the way that it is. And if she was black, she would have said, I'm going to tell you the way that an IS is. <laughs> <laughs> and she was clear. She was direct yeah. and let me intervene my faith with counseling. There were some things I wanted to do, some things I said, nope, you can't answer that between me and God. Only God has an answer for that. And in God's time, God will answer me in terms of why God did not save my son, because that was a question that I had. And yes, God answered. And we talk about it in the production. Mm -hmm. Um but that was very difficult going to counseling. But I had my sorority sisters, my friends, um, family who helped me. I could not have gotten through with all three. Um, in my family of a wide network of church, community, friends, um, my sorority sisters um, put together a weekly list after I had the brain aneurysm and they brought food over. Um, but how do you do that? How do you say, yeah. yes, feed me? How do you ask for help? No. How do you ask for help? Um, that's difficult. I don't think I ever shared this with you, but you were, uh, now's a good time to do it while we're on a podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I, I think. <laughs> do, you, do you were, when you started going back to work, one of the things, because you shared with me that you were going to go back to work. And I remember asking you, are you sure? And you were so adamant that, yes, I have to. I have to, I have to go back to work. And then whenever I, you, you would come by, the one thing that you would always say is, I should be better now. I should be doing better than I'm doing right now. And I let you say that for a couple of visits. And I remember one visit saying to you, who told you that? Why should you be better now? Quite frankly, the fact that you, I, I told you, the, the fact yes. that you were sitting up in a chair dressed, when I know I probably still would have been in a ball in the corner somewhere in my room. And I remember you were very adamant about having to move very quickly. And do you, was it because you were trying to get through the grief thinking that there was, it was going to end one day or? I had combination. I had people telling me, get over it. Um, you should be, they would call me and say, how are you doing? And I would say, I'm not, but you're okay though, but you're okay though. You know, but you're, you know, God blessed you. He woke you up this morning. You're okay. And I'm like, and for me, yeah, God woke me up, but I'm still feeling like crap and I'm still pissed. I'm That's angry. Right. That's right. Um, and I was conditioned to believe that I should be further along. Part of being a project manager, um, we have timelines and okay, counseling two weeks, check. I should be here, check. I'm getting up, going to work, check. Mm -hmm. I should be here. What's the next phase? What's the next milestone? And I had to learn, and you said it, and I had to learn that this is it, sweetheart. There, you take your time. It's, there's no timeline of when you're going to get through this. There's no timeline. And for me to have a brain aneurysm on my son's birth date sent a serious message. Mm -hmm. And when eight months after you asked a question about talking to Jonathan Berryman, um, who God used to push this projection, I said, you've got to tell your story. You've got, and I'm telling him the godly interventions, the struggles, the trials, the the triumphs. He said, you've got to tell the story in the arts. And I'm like, Jonathan, I, I, I can't write. I can't talk. I can only, I can only communicate for, I mean, literally talk 10 minutes a day. And it felt like I had been talking for 14 hours mm -hmm. and I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be better. I wanted to be further along. And I had to learn that I was going through the motions. And even though I was in counseling, I still did not listen. Yeah. I'm hard at it. I'm hard at it. You are. I, I will say that. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm hard at it. Anyone that knows me, I'm, I'm hard at it. But I've learned I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better with that. But I have a question for you. Um, take it away from me so that I'm not crying here. But if I cry, I'm going to cry. That's okay. That's healing, right? Yes, it is. Now that, you know, we, we're in COVID-19 and, and you have your daughter who's here and you have a routine set up, how have you had to adjust with this pandemic and having a child with autism? You know, it's funny you ask that because it was supposed to be this wonderful special. As a matter of fact, one of my sorority sisters had sent me um, a, a text that day because she knew I was struggling with having my daughter home and her being out of her routine. Because as, as anyone knows, raising a child with this disability and autism, consistency is really key. Yeah. And so when her routine was interrupted, then that, again, was another interruption. Okay. So I watched this special that was coming on and I thought, okay, great. They're going to give us some hints about what to do. It was specifically um, parents who had children with special needs now living at home and having them at home during the pandemic. So I moved everything. I made sure I was in front of the television when this special came on. And the only thing the special reported on was that there's parents at home that have children with special needs and they're dealing with them during the pandemic. And I'm saying, well, I knew that. I that thought was it? You know, that was it. 
They show different families that were going through it. Mm. And I'm saying, okay, but I thought there was going to be some helpful information here. And so I went back to what I do, prayed. I took a minute. I recentered myself and recognized how do I now make her day look as normal as possible so that her life is not interrupted. Because having her be where she is now in life, it mm -hmm. took a long time to get her there. Okay. And to be able now to go through the pandemic and also try and explain to her what the pandemic is. My daughter also, I know a lot of children with autism, there's varying levels, but my daughter is very social. So she doesn't have a problem being around people and she loves to hug. Now, yeah. how did I have to explain that to her that you can't do can't that? Hug. You can't hug. So we have like the social hug where we go like that, you know, the okay. distance hug. And But it's an everyday. If we're going out, we have to share with her, you can't hug. Remember, you can't hug. But it's, it's it hasn't been easy, but we're making it. We're making it. And uh, I, I commend you. Um, and it's not easy. You know, this pandemic for me is another layer of stress on top of Black Lives Matter because Black men are being murdered in the streets. And yeah. my situation, I don't get to see my son's murder played out on social media, on YouTube, on the news repeatedly. Right. And that would be even more traumatic. So for me, watching that, I have to disconnect. Yes. I couldn't watch the video of George Floyd being murdered because I thought of my son. And I couldn't watch certain movies. I still can't watch certain movies because they're triggers for me. Right. And being in the pandemic, I'm watching Andy Griffin and, you know, <laughs> silly shows that I've seen before, something to make me laugh and I'm reading more, but something different. And so that's what we ask ourselves. How did we get here? How did we get here? How do we get here? Um, and I know talking about this is uncomfortable. And Kathy, I, I thank you for hosting this with me. My daughter was very adamant that I could not do this alone. And she <laughs> says, you cannot do a podcast by yourself. So find someone. And I just thank God that you said, I'll do it with you. And I was like, hey, um, so thank you. Because thank you. as I'm sitting here doing this, I could not do this by myself. Um, so we're coming to the end of our production, a conversation on how did I get here and see next week. What's going on next week, Kathy? Yes, we will have our third podcast. It's called A Mother's Cry. Yes. And it's not what people think. No. So <laughs> we want them definitely to tune in. You'll be they'll be pleasantly surprised. And we'll also have a guest, Tamja Gray, who is a licensed clinical social worker. She's worked with many families and individuals through situations of trauma as a result of negative societal and or family um, impacts. So we're looking forward to having conversation with her. And so am I. I'm, I'm good. And she's a sorority sister. I was just going to say, this is, I think this is just, you're after me for some reason. I'm like, okay, this works out well. That works out well. That works oh, out well. She's yeah. awesome, though. I'm really excited about Tam and I have been friends for many years, and I've watched her work. And she's um, just wonderful, wonderful therapist and a great person good. to talk to. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to next week. And, and we planned this. And I know Mrs. Hill, who prepped us, said, please don't have all these podcasts that are going to make people cry. That's and right. That just <laughs> you got to be uplifting. So trust me, next week is not you're going to cry a little bit, but you're going to cry from laughing sometimes. <laughs> um, so we're not going to give next week away. We ask you to come. And if you want to learn more about interruptions, um, you can download my digital easy card. See, the pandemic, I had to go out and buy a digital easy card. <laughs> um, so you can text INT to 64600 and download the digital easy card and they'll ask you to put in your email address so that I can have it. So again, you can text INT 
800-242-6400 and download my digital easy card. Save it to your Android, your iPhone, or you can go to my website, which is the number two, reinventyourself.com. The number two, reinventyourself.com. And you can learn uh, what Interruptions is doing in the community, how it's growing. You can donate as we are starting our fundraiser campaign next week. And Interruptions is taking on a life that I had not imagined. But when Jonathan came to me and said, this is what you need to do, I when I said no, and I knew that this was God's will, and we're just being obedient and following God's will. So um, we thank everyone for listening. Please listen to our podcast from last week, which was called A Thought Was Born. Today's podcast was How Did I Get Here? And next week is A Mother's Cry. So our closing to you always is no matter how dark the clouds may seem in your life, when you rise above them, the sun is always shining. 